Good morning. All right, so we have Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 21. Here we go. Okay. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned you food, your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is God's word. On our second week in our series on the book of Daniel, which is called uh, Faith in Exile, and last week we talked about what, what exile is and what God is doing when he places his people in exile. And, and, and that's the situation that Daniel and his friends uh, find themselves in. And Daniel, in fact, the whole nation of Judah find themselves in at the beginning of this book. We talked about that last week. You see, the, the Jews were God's chosen people, and, and he had made, it started as God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and, and you and your descendants are going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And then hundreds of years later, if you know the story, and maybe you're not, uh, we're coming to Easter, they usually play the movie uh, right around uh, Easter time. This is the story of the God's people then find themselves, the descendants of Abraham find themselves in Egypt and they are slaves. They're slaves for 400 years there in Egypt. And God brings Moses and he lets, gets them to be released from the nation of Egypt and they, he leads them you know, through the Red Sea and into the wilderness and eventually going to lead them into the promised land. And in the wilderness, he makes a covenant, a further clarifying covenant with his people. He says, here's what's going to happen. I will be your God and you will be my people. If you remain faithful to me, then you will prosper in everything that you do. And if you don't, I will send my prophets to you and they will warn you. 
and they will continue to warn you. If you continue to be unfaithful to me, then I will scatter you to the ends of the earth. I will send you into exile out of this promised land that I've given you. But here's the purpose. He even said it before it even happened. I love the book of Deuteronomy. He tells Moses before it even happens, tells the people through Moses, here's what's going to happen. You are going to ignore my prophets. I am going to scatter you. And then I'm going to, what I'm going to do as I scatter you is I'm going to cause you to turn back to me. I'm going to bring you back into the promised land. And see, exile isn't about punishment. Exile is a place for training. And that's where the people of Judah find themselves here at this moment. They've been unfaithful for many years. God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet. Generation after generation after generation had passed. And yet they continue to be unfaithful. And now God has delivered them over to the nation of Babylon, or to the people of Babylon. Daniel and his young friends were exiled. The, the, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, said, pick out for me the the best looking, the smartest, the brightest, the sons of nobility and take them out of Judah, out of Jerusalem and bring them here and we're gonna train them. It was, it, was, it was Babylon's way of actually exerting greater influence over each local nation. If you would bring their best and brightest, you would retrain them, brainwash them, if you will, in order to the waves of Babylon and then you could send them back to lead Babylon or they can lead their people in Babylon, it brings a deeper tie between the conquering country and the conquered country. And Daniel and his young friends are, now they are in Babylon and they are separated from their family. They're separated with everything that's familiar and they're separated from their precious promised land. Exile is when God places his people among an unfaithful people in order to teach them faithfulness or in other words, that's how God builds great faith. That's what God is doing in the, the people of Judah, in particularly in Daniel and his friends here as they are in exile. God is building them into a people of great faith. Now, as Christians in a very prosperous land, in a land that though the culture around us is changing, still we are fr still very free to worship God in whatever way that we, that we choose, there's an extent that we are still always exiles. And that's because of this. We talked about it last week. This world is not our home. I'm going to say that again because I don't think that we can say it enough throughout this series. Christian, this world is not your home. No matter how comfortable it may seem, no matter how wealthy you may be, no matter how accepted you may be, no matter how free we may be to worship here in this nation, no matter what nation you are a part of, no matter where you are, here's the truth about Christians, this world is not our home. But even in the middle of that, God can, of us being exiles in a world that is not our home, and God can still kind of turn up the heat for us individually, and he can turn up the heat for us corporately in order not to punish us, but to bring us discipline, in order to, to, to pull us back to him, in order to teach us how to be faithful or how to have great faith. The, the purpose, hear this, the purpose of our sojourning, that's the, another word that some translations use about what it is to, to live in this world as Christians. The purpose of our sojourning, the purpose of the hard times that we go through, for the believer isn't punishment, the purpose is training. God is teaching us how to have great faith so that, 
Not so that somebody can look at you and say, oh, wow, isn't it awesome? That person has great faith. God is teaching us how to have great faith so that we can prove to be faithful. That's why we need to have great faith. We need to have great faith, not so that we can believe, like some people like kind of morph faith into something that I have great faith and that's why I have this jet. Or I have great faith and that's why I live in this neighborhood, right? I have great faith and that's how I have this much money in my bank account. That, that's not the purpose. And actually, that's actually a very, very poor and mixed up definition of what it means to have great faith and what happens when we have great faith. The purpose of having faith as believers and having great faith. That should be all of our desire. Jesus said all it takes is faith of a mustard seed, but yet he also was always telling his disciples, oh, you have little faith. You need to have greater faith. Our, all of our desires should be to have greater faith. Because when we have faith, the darkness isn't as intimidating to us. Because what we see is instead of darkness that intimidates us, we see it as opportunity to God for God to shine his light brighter through us. Think about Daniel. It was really hard and really unfair for him to be exiled from his promise, from the promised land, you would think, and brought to this city of Babylon where nobody else worshiped God around him and his friends. But yet God used it to a way that he could shine his light in and through Daniel to a greater extent than he could have back in the promised land. Think about David facing Goliath. Goliath had the whole army of Israel cowering in the shadows. David, this small guy, this guy who wasn't very impressive to the people around him, yet he, whenever he saw Goliath, he simply saw an opportunity for God to shine his light through him. I've often, have ever thought about what it was like to, to pick up that stone and put it in that sling and to face Goliath and stare him down and think, God, you gotta come through on this. But God had built him over time, starting in the pasture where he's watching over his father's sheep. He had built him over time to be a person of great faith so that when he faced Goliath, when he faced the deep darkness, he saw it as an opportunity for God to shine his light through him like he had before. Think of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. As we're in this Lent season, the days leading up to, to, up to Easter, it reminds us of the time that Jesus is, is on his way from Galilee and he's working his way through the nation of Israel and he's gonna make his way to Jerusalem and he knows that he's going for his certain death. And we know that wasn't exciting to Jesus because the night before he was crying as it were sweat and he was sweating as it were blood. He begged the Lord, would you take this away from me? But yet he endured the cross, despising the shame for the glory that was set on the other side. He saw it as an opportunity for in the deepest darkness for God to shine his light through him. So that was the question facing this passage is, how do we get there? How do we learn how to have great faith? What we're gonna see today is that we're gonna see what God uses as the training ground to build great faith. And, and here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see that that training ground that God gives us to build faith is often hidden. It's often a quiet place. God doesn't build faith as we post our little quiet times on Facebook and Instagram. 
God builds faith in the hidden places, in the quiet places, when it'd be really easy to go the other way. If you have your Bible, look at Daniel 1.8. We're gonna see how God used this situation that Daniel was in to build great faith. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. The, the first thing that, well, the first thing in this sentence, but the, thing, the first thing that should really stand out to us is that, is that Daniel identified what was really going on. And that is that he decided not to defile himself. It says that, that Daniel decided that he was not going to defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, that's interesting because Daniel and his three friends, as far as we know, weren't the only Hebrews that were taken out of the land of Judah and brought to Babylon. And we don't have record that any of the, his other friends decided not to eat and drink. And it was, the, as far as we know, the author doesn't tell us any particular reason expressly why Daniel and his friends thought that they should not eat that particular food or drink that particular wine. But this story isn't about what Daniel decided to eat and not eat and about Daniel, what Daniel decided to drink and not drink. This is not a story about diet. It's not a story that vegetables are good and meat is bad. You can have those conversations in, on your own, but that's not what is, the, the purpose is going on. It's not what's going on here. This passage is not about what Daniel did and didn't eat. This passage is about how and why someone remains faithful to God above everything else. Daniel looked at what was going on as they were feeding, bringing him this food and bringing him this wine, and he looked at his friends, and he looked at what they were trying to do in terms of retraining them and brainwashing them to the ways of Babylon, and Daniel decided, I can't go down that path. I can't allow myself to be defiled. And there are several reasons that we see that. And I think, first of all, what we see is that, that Daniel was a man who was about God's glory, not his own. Above everything else, Daniel was a man, and we see this played out to this whole book. Daniel was a man about God's glory and not his own. If he was a, a man about his own glory and his own reputation, the best thing to do in this situation was say, God, I'm going to stay faithful to you quietly just between you and me. But I'm going to go down whatever path these people want me to go down because they could kill me if I decide not to go down this path. And if I go down this path, as a young man, can you feel the pull that he would have on him to, to have the best food and wine in the whole entire world, to be able to eat from that, to be trained in, in, the, in the best learning that was available at the time in order to rise up and to be a uh, a person who was a part of the most powerful king on the face of the earth, a part of his cabinet, his inner circle, to be able to man who had great wealth and power. Because if you were under a king like that, you had great power. You had great wealth. You had great standing. You owned a lot of property. The nobility, it was an incredibly powerful place to be. But Daniel was a man who was about God's glory and God's reputation above his own. The word glory, if you've been around church a, a little bit, or maybe 
If you haven't, you're like, I, I hear that word. It just sounds like a Christian word, a religious word. I, I don't really know what it means. And it has several connotations, but one of the, the, the meanings that it has is it means weight. It means weight. And here's what we're seeing in this passage, that the weight of God's glory, the weight of God had a stronger gravitational pull on Daniel than any other competing weight. And they're always competing weights, right? There's our own desire for, for power, our own desire for prestige, is our, our, our desire to, to be smarter, to be viewed as greater as the, by the people around us. It's a fear of what will happen if we don't follow the way that everybody else goes. Daniel was a young man. He's just as prone to the power of peer pressure as anybody else. He felt that pull of all his peers wanting to go the other way. He felt the pull of the power of Nebuchadnezzar saying, this is the way you gotta go. But for Daniel, the pull of God's glory was greater than the gravitational weight of any other competing glory, of any other competing weight. It was weightier than anything else. Daniel decided to go in a different direction. Daniel decided not to defile himself because he saw what was really going on is that there was a, a plan at place to pull him to a, to a different glory than God's glory, to pull some, his attention from a different weight than following after God alone. The, the weight of God's glory was weightier than anything else. And we see in Daniel that Daniel was a man who lived in the presence of God. Daniel felt a greater weight, but Daniel was a man who lived in the presence of God because he was hidden from his parents. He was hidden from his people. Nobody back home would know what was going on with him if he just went along the, the way, the easy path, follow the path of Babylon follow the path to, to glory and fame in Babylon, nobody would have known. And if they had, they probably wouldn't have blamed him. Who could blame him? But yet, he had a consciousness that he lived in the presence of God. And then, even if what he did was hidden to everybody else around him, it was not hidden to God. That his life was lived in his presence and the idea that the almighty creator God was everywhere and was not only all powerful but all seeing and all knowing. And the presence of God for Daniel enlightened and framed, reframed everything around him. If you live with the concept that God's glory is greater than anything else, and that I'm living in the presence of God every moment, that it, it reframes the small decisions that we make that are actually really hard decisions. This decision in Daniel's life was not the biggest decision he would ever face. It was a kind of a small decision in a lot of ways. And yet, he lived in the presence of God and he lived for his glory and that reframed that small, hard decision. It brought clarity to that decision. It says that Daniel realized that to go down this path would defile him or that wording also means would pollute him. What was happening here, it wasn't, Daniel didn't look at his, the, his friends who were around him, the other exiles from what other lands they were from and say, look, I, I'm better than you guys. 
I'm high and mighty. Daniel didn't decide to go down a different path because he was high and mighty and compared to everybody else. He decided to go down a different path because God was high and mighty. Because his God was high and mighty. His God was greater than everything else. Daniel wasn't afraid of being defiled because he was so righteous. Daniel was afraid of being defiled because he belonged to another. That's really what I'm saying. Daniel didn't want to be defiled because he belonged to another. And if you are a believer in Christ, you are in the same position. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own for. Why are you not your own, Christian? Because you were bought with a price. Therefore, because you were bought with a price, therefore, glorify God in your body or with your life. You are not your own. You belong to another. Romans 14, 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. That's the, that should be written over the life of every single believer. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself because we belong to another and we, do, we belong to another because we were bought with a price. What was that price? It was the precious blood of Jesus. That was the price that was paid for your life. That is why you are not your own. You belong to another. And it's, we don't even have, like, even before we were bought with a price, we owed everything that we have to God because he created us. The God who gave us breath, we own every breath back to him. The God who gives us our heartbeat, we, own, we owe every heartbeat back to him. But just to double it down on top of that, for us as believers, we have been bought by the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We belong to God. How much more do we live in God's presence than even Daniel? Those of us who profess Christ, what we believe happens is that the Holy Spirit of God, what Holy Scripture tells us here is that the Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells us. You are a walking, talking, Netflix-watching container of the presence and the power of the living God. That should reframe how we do everything, including watching Netflix. How much more do we live in the presence of God than Daniel? And how much less can some of us be aware of that? How much more should we live for God's glory than for our own or for any competing glory? Because we were bought with a price. Now, that leaves us in a little question here today. Because I don't know about your track record, but my track record is really spotty with living for God's glory. You might be here and you're not a, a Christian at all and you're like, I'm not even living for God at all. What does this, where does this leave me? I guess I should just leave right now. Where does it leave me? What if, what, if I, what if I didn't make the decisions Daniel made early on in order to not defile himself? And I have defiled myself. I am defiling myself. And I have plans to defile myself as soon as we leave here today. What if we haven't made the decisions that Daniel made?
Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. It tells us about Jesus. It says, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves. That's the sacrifices that they made in the old, the old covenant, the old, uh, the old testament. But by means of his own blood. That's that, his blood coming in there again. Thus securing an eternal, what's that next word? Redemption. Thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. He's talking about the old covenant there. Don't get bogged down. Hear this. How much more would the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, hear this, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here's what it's saying. The same blood that purchases us cleanses us. Christ died on the cross. Hear this today, wherever you are today, Christian, not a Christian, been walking with the Lord or been walking your own path, done things, said things you shouldn't have done, ran down the path that Daniel didn't run, that Daniel didn't refuse to run down. Hear this, the blood that purchases us cleanses us as well. It is therefore our redemption, that passage said, and it is so powerful that it can purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You are clean, and if you're not a believer, you can be clean by the blood of Christ that purchased you is the same blood that cleanses you. Now, I mentioned before that we aren't really 100% sure why Daniel and his friends believe that this food and wine were going to defile them. There's some reasons that it could have been. Uh, one is that it could have been that the, the food that was being offered to them was forbidden, things that they should not eat under the old covenant. Uh, it could be horse meat or it could be pig flesh. And, um, but the, the question would that be, well, why not the wine? Because the wine was not expressly forbidden. It, it could be that the, the food was not prepared in a kosher way. In fact, we, we're sure it would not have been prepared in a kosher way. The, the, the meat may not have been drained of the blood and the other things that they had to do in order to prepare the food. It, it absolutely could have been that. But what we also know is that the, the Jews of the time faced this issue and they came to this decision. They said, well, when we are in exile, we can't always live and eat kosher and therefore it is okay if you can't to eat on food that is not kosher. It could be that the food that was being offered to them was food that was offered to idols. We know that that was something that did happen in the day. They would, they would take the food and prepare it, and they would bring it before the idols, and they would leave it there for a time for the idols who were, were mute and didn't have any power to partake of it however they see fit, saw fit. And then they would take the food and the wine and, and bring it out and offer it to the, to, the, to the people. But the problem about that is that the veggies would have been a part of that offering. It could be that Daniel just thought this food is too sumptuous. Sumptuous. It's, it's not expressly forbidden, but it's, it's too rich. It's going to be, it's going to tempt me too much to go down this path. We don't, aren't exactly sure why Daniel and his friends believe that they would be defiling themselves to eat and drink. 
But here's what we know that Daniel and his friends were concerned about. Daniel was concerned about the path that these actions were going to lead him on. Not just about the actions, but about what the path that these actions were going to lead him on. Because at this moment, Daniel, as a young man, facing this this small decision, but a hard decision, am I going to go with the way of the Babylonians or am am I going to go another way? And what is going to happen to me if... I don't go their way. How can I worship and serve God? You can imagine him staying up at night, having these conversations with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saying, how are we going to worship God and serve him while we're still here in exile? How are we going to learn whatever lessons God is teaching us and still survive in this ungodly land? How are we going to do this and not end up with our heads cut off? But what we see is that Daniel not only saw what was going on and saw the path that this was leading on, decided that he didn't want to be defiled, is that we also see that Daniel resolved. Daniel, verse 8, resolved that he would not defile himself. Here's the thing. Daniel would end up being a man of great faith. We know that. We know Daniel would end up being a man of great faith, but his great faith wasn't born whenever he was thrown into the lion's den. That's not where great faith is born. It's in this moment that faith is really made. To a great extent, this moment, this moment, facing this decision, this young Daniel and these three friends of his, they were facing, this was their deciding moment. Everything that happens, several commentators make this point, everything that happens after this point, in a lot of ways, traces all the way back to this decision that Daniel and his friends made not to defile themselves going down the path of the Babylonians. Faith is not a result of a confident personality. Great faith has nothing to do with personality. You might be here today and you're here like, you know, I am timid, I am quiet, I deal with doubts, I wrestle with doubts about God and scripture and whether it's true or not all the time and you think, therefore, I can't be a person of great faith. You might say, hey, I've messed up a lot in life. I haven't lived in obedience to God and so therefore it means I can't be a person of great faith or you say, hey, I'm just a person of weak faith. I am so spotty and up and down in my relationship with God. And therefore, I can't be a person of great faith. But here's some good news for us. Daniel was in this situation as an exile in Babylon because he came from a long line of people who had really weak faith. He came from a long line of people in Judah who had really messed up over and over again. The royal line in Judah was spotty up and down with people who trusted and relied upon God. Here's the truth. You're not born a person of faith. You become a person of faith. You're not born a person of great faith. You become a person of great faith because great faith isn't mustered up in the moment. Great faith is forged. That's how they make swords, you know. They forge them in the heat. You don't suddenly have a a sword when you're in the middle of battle. It has been forged 
with great heat and force. And that is the truth about our faith. Great faith or faith isn't made in the big moments. The big moments simply show our faith or our faithfulness. Great faith is forged in the hidden heat of smaller decisions. Here's what I'm saying. Great faith is made up of smaller faithful decisions where you say, I live in the presence of God and I wanna live for his glory and I wanna be faithful. And this little decision today and this little decision tomorrow because I'm focused on God, not myself. It's to care for God's glory above everything else that creates faithful resolve. I I care more about God. I'm more fearful in my relationship with God. I'm more careful about how I'm pleasing him than I am pleasing my friends or my boss or the people around me who expect me to go in a certain direction. But faith does require resolve. You see, Daniel resolved not to be defiled. Resolve means I res... I'm going to have to respond to the pressure from the culture around me that everything in is pushing in me and telling me to go this way. Just go the way that everybody else does. Consume entertainment, view romance and sex, relationships and money and career and education. Just view it the way everybody else does. It's going to go so much easier for you if you go this way. Faith is born as we in the small decisions are faithful to God above culture. But also it's gonna, at times, it's gonna require us to be faithful to God above even pressure from other believers who don't understand why we're going a particular way. Why I won't watch that or why I won't listen to that or why I conducted my life this way or I won't do this. There'll be other Christians that won't always understand. There were other Jews who were in Babylon around Daniel and they probably did not understand. They said, just come this way, it's a lot easier. Just follow the path of Babylon. But then you see how Daniel responded. In verse nine, it says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigns you food and your drink Why should he see that you're in worse condition than the user of your own age? You would endanger my head with the king. So he had favor with the the chief of the eunuchs who were over him, but he's like, I'm too afraid of the king to to only allow you to eat the vegetables and not give you the wine and meat. And so so Daniel tried a different approach. He didn't approach the, uh, the, the steward. And he said, hey, test us in this. Give us 10 days. Give us 10 days where we don't eat the sumptuous food. Let us just eat vegetables and drink water. And test us and see what do we look like after those 10 days pass. And what I think is really cool about this passage is that we see that Daniel took responsibility. He didn't, he didn't blame others for the tough situation that he found himself in. He didn't blame others for the tough decisions that he faced. He didn't blame the chief eunuch He didn't blame Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't shoot off a blog post about how Nebuchadnezzar's command for me to eat this food is unjust. He didn't fire off on Twitter about the chief eunuch won't won't let me follow the Lord. He didn't go complain to somebody about anything else. He, 
He simply kept trying to figure out, like, God, I've resolved I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust and be humble in this situation because it's not about me. He didn't resolve not to defile himself. He wasn't concerned about what the other people around him were saying to him or requiring of him. Daniel approached the chief eunuch and he approached the, the steward that was over him. He approached them with humility and respect. Because after all, it wasn't about him, it was about God's glory. And if it's about God's glory, then it's up to God to figure out how I get to point B from point A, but I know that I gotta get there and I gotta figure out a pathway to get there. But I'm gonna trust the Lord is gonna take me there, but I'm gonna walk that path in humility and respect along the way. I think we as Christians in America, we have a little bit of a reputation. I think some of it's rightly, a lot of it's rightly deserved for standing for truth in certain areas, but we, we do so just throwing bombs at the other side. Snarky and disrespectful, dismissive of other people who believe and think differently than we do. Instead of responding with strength and courage, but also humility and respect, knowing that it's up to God to figure out how to get us there not up to my own snarkiness and my cleverness. It was up to the Lord to figure out, but if he approached the chief eunuch and then he approached the steward, it's up for the Lord to figure out how he's gonna not defile himself, but that's what he's gonna do and the Lord is gonna have to figure out. And that leads us to the last thing I think we see. He, he approached it humbly, he asked, but also we see that he followed through expectantly. You, you see that in the passage? He has this confidence where he tells the, the, the steward above him, test us for 10 days and see. In other words, prove and see if the Lord doesn't do something here. Faith-filled actions are made from, a, are born of a faithful resolve. I mean, I'm resolving to be faithful to God and therefore I'm gonna take this action that is a faith-filled action, but it's not, I don't have to muster it up together. I don't have to build myself up. I don't have to throw bombs at people around me. I'm simply humbly following the Lord. I want to be faithful to him. And there, I can do so because it's built upon the power of God and not my own power. You, you see that in the passage? Daniel expects after these 10 days that the steward is going to look at him and see that they look better only in 10 days. It's hard to show a big difference in 10 days between people who are around you. And he believes that in those 10 days, God's gonna show up and do something that's gonna be such that you're gonna just look at me and look at my friends and know that we are better off than our friends who are eating this sumptuous food and drinking this wine. He was confident that God was gonna show up because he knew the power of God, but also because he knew the promises of God. God is about his glory and God has shown us in his word that when we follow him, he will show up. It may not always be that in 10 days we look better than the people around us. It may not always be that, we're, that he closes the mouths of the lions when we're thrown in the den or that the flames don't burn us. But we know that when we follow the Lord that he will show up. And here's why. I think this is probably one of the things that was going through Daniel's mind as he made this stand. Is that we know that God's people are to be a distinct 
people. In Exodus 33, 16, Moses is praying and he's talking to God when, and God has said, I'm gonna send you into the promised land, but I'm not gonna go with you. You're gonna get in there, you're gonna conquer them, but I'm not gonna go with you. I'm fed up with your, my, your unfaithfulness to me. That's forgiveness and redemption, by the way. But this is what Moses says. He says, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Or he's saying, how will they know that you are our God and we are your people? How will they know that we have a special relationship with you? How will, we, how will they know that, you are, that, that, you, that we are your children and you are our father? Here's why. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Daniel knew the promise and, and the plan of God was for his people to be distinct among all the other nations of the world. So therefore, if he chooses to be, if he resolves to be faithful to God above anybody else and above everything else, that God would show up and cause him and his friends to be distinct among the other friends and compatriots around them. And here's what we can do as we wrap this up. I think it's fit for us to think about what does it mean for me, what does it mean for you to resolve not to defile yourself in this day and age? What does it mean for you as a believer to say, I'm going to go the way of God no matter anything else and to understand that God is trying to build in me great faith and it's built in the small moments and the small decisions and the hidden decisions that no one else sees and no one else knows. Because here's the truth. None of us are, are any holier than we are in our most quiet, alone moment. That's who we really are. And it's in that moment that God is building, trying to build within us, forge within us faith. And here's how we can do it. We can walk this path because it's not about us. We can walk this path because we're following the pattern of Jesus before us. Jesus looked at the cross and despised the shame and for the glory that was set before him. He endured the shame of the cross and we can follow in his footsteps, not because we are great, but because he is great. And because he is in the, in the work of redeeming us in our own brokenness. And therefore, as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we think about the, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ on our behalf. It is a reminder today as you come forward and you take that cup and you take that wafer and you put it in your mouth and you drink that juice. It's a reminder that it's his broken body and his shed blood that is redeeming us and that is giving us the power to be redeemed and to be made new, to give clean conscience so that we can follow his path and follow the Lord in the small decisions as he builds great faith in us right now. In the small decisions, in the hidden decisions. Uh, I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna prepare our hearts for communion. This morning, uh, maybe you're in a place where you say, hey, I've made a real mess of my life. 
And I, I know I need forgiveness. I need to confess some things before the Lord. This is the time to do that as we get ready to partake of communion. Maybe you say, I need somebody to pray with me. This is the time for that. I will be up here at the front. I'd love to pray with you. In a few minutes, we'll have somebody back in the back corner back here. They'd love to pray with you as well. Remember you're here this morning, you say, I'm not a believer and I need to be a believer today. Here's what we invite you to do. Don't come forward and partake of communion. This is a, a meal for those who are believers in Christ, but hear where you are. Confess your sins, cry out to God that he would redeem you by the blood that bought you that it would be the blood that cleanses you as well. Let's pray. If you're a believer in Christ, there'll be two stations, one on each side. Come forward on the, from the outside. They'll hand you the cup. You can return back to your seat, and we'll worship the Lord together as we partake of communion. Father, we want to be a people of great faith. I think we can all uh, in here admit that and we've gone down some, some wrong paths in the directions. We've not followed the, the pattern of D Daniel and we've made a lot of terrible decisions and compromising decisions. Uh, Lord, I thank you that the blood of Christ cleanses us, but it also purchases us. And Father, I pray that you would make us a people who in the, in the small decisions of life, in the hidden decisions of life, would embark on the path of becoming a people of faith so that we could prove to be faithful to you and the world would see that we are distinct, not because we are righteous or good, but because you are righteous and good. That's the name of Christ we pray, amen.